Thank you, Bill. Um, and, and thank you, Laura and David, for all of that. Um, the lights are up. That's good. Um, I also want to say one other way that you can support FCA is money. So you're already doing it if you tithe here, which is great. A portion of our tithes go to ministry partnerships. Um, but I believe that some of you may be called to actually give a, offerings above and beyond your tithe. And so if that's the case, then see Laura as well or David, and, and they gladly accept that. So, um, And I want to thank Bill and Jeannie Jerky. They're the directors of our ministry partnerships. And so we have a, we have a handful of partnerships here locally and in, in Haiti as well that require a lot of attention and love. And so thank you, Bill and Jeannie, for leading that. Is Josh Dollard here? He should be here. Like, and you did a Josh Dollard imago. Like, the only reason we had a case of life water is because I was drinking smart water for my messages, but that's not a Pepsi product. And Josh Dollard's, like, in charge of all the Pepsi or something, so he brought us free life water, and then you plug Pepsi? Like, this is, well, he missed it all, man. Oh, oh well, I'm saying, but good job. Thank you for the imago. It was great. Um, I want to say welcome to, to Church Project. If you're a first-time guest, like, we're a church, we're a gathering of people that, that love Jesus, and we love the mission of Jesus in this world, and we want to live it out together, but we're also a project, we're an ongoing pursuit, we, we haven't figured it out, we haven't landed on a solution yet, like, no one's done church tomorrow morning yet, and so we're a continual project learning how to love Jesus and to love the world like Jesus loved the world. And so I'm glad that you're here today. The summer is, all, is always a little different and always a little awkward. We usually meet in the gym. Well, it's a good thing we don't meet in the gym right now because the gym would eat us up. <laughs> a lot of people on vacation, the gym is getting um, refloored right now. So we're going to be in this room, I think, for another month or so. It's really kind of up to John Miguel and Jeremy, what we're doing, but I think we'll be in here for the next month. And if you were with us two weeks ago, um, our church body literally moved and went over to Mosaic Church, which is over by Evans in Evans by Sam's Club. And Church Project and Mosaic did a whole gathering thing together, and that was amazing, wasn't it? Like if you were able to go there and and see that, oh yeah, Christians in this capital C church is more than just Church Project, and and in Greeley, there's such amazing churches here. It was amazing to be there, um, and to just to be with our brothers and sisters. And by the way. They had great, like, breakfast burrito before. I'm like, it was a good breakfast burrito. So maybe you should go there, get a breakfast burrito, come back here. I don't, I don't know. But it was great. And we want to continue to remind each other that it's not a church project thing. It's a church thing. So thank you, church, for doing that. Um, and I also want to say, Ryan Doherty, wherever you're, good job. Last week I was in Mexico having a good time cheering on the World Cup, the world sport. Laura, we can get him back now. You played college ball soccer, football. Did you know that, Bill? Like, he, she tore it up. So we, I was down there, and Ryan did a great job giving the message. Thank you very much, Ryan. It was good. So you guys ready to jump into this? Let's jump in. Um, Acts chapter 15, verses 12 through 21. Uh, we go verse by verse. We've been in Acts for literally a year and a half. My grandpa keeps saying, oh, when are we going to get out of Acts? And I'm like, I don't think we'll ever escape the grasp of Acts. But we're moving really slow through it. Today, Acts chapter 15, verses 12 through 21 is a fantastic message for us today. If you have your Version Bible app, you can open that up and follow along on the notes. And I'd encourage everyone to save those notes as well. So when you go to house church, you have those notes. So let's read through this. Acts chapter 15, verses 12 through 21. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul 
telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written. Verse 16. After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. In verse 19. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and it is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Let me pray. God, I pray for this passage. I pray for these verses right here that your Holy Spirit will guide our hearts, you'll guide our minds, you'll speak to each and every one of us in a very personal and private way. Move us today. Show off today, God. We want to see you. In your name we pray. Amen. Hey, one of the reasons that we are doing expository teaching is we want to not only expose Scripture as full as we can and talk about it as much as we can, but we also, in the process of doing this, we're hoping that you are in turn learning how to pick up your Bible and to read it. I don't know what your experience is in church. Um, I grew up in different various churches, and I've been to churches, especially in my college, and I've even worked at churches where we would grab Scripture, and we'd kind of open up, and we would say, this is a good verse, and we'd preach an amazing uh, message on this one verse, but all along forgetting that there's actually context to this verse, and you can really make Scripture say whatever you want it to say if you don't know context. And so one of my hopes as we're going through and we're doing expository teaching is that we're all learning context. We ask ourselves the questions like, who's this written to? And what's the original meaning when this was written to them? And we can apply it to our lives. Like, that's the way to read Scripture. When I look at these verses, I got real excited. I got to say a couple things about writing messages. One, sometimes it's like I'm rushing to the hospital to give birth. Like, I might give birth in the car. Like, it's an easy message. Sorry for the illustration. Other times, it's like a C-section. This baby ain't never coming out. Like, this is hard. And this was one of those hard, hard messages for me that finally this morning, I'm like, okay, I think I know what you're telling us, God. And and here's kind of it when I looked through this. If we could time travel, if we could take church project as it is right now, us, all of us sitting right here, and travel back in time, church project would hang on the balance of the outcome of this conversation, Like if we could all go and just kind of sitting around and watch this conversation taking place the way we are now, listening to this conversation, our destiny is determined about what how this this conversation ends up. What happens in this conversation? Not only for us as a church, but for all of us individually. Our actions in general and words today determine the outcome of tomorrow. Think about that with this in this passage. They're debating a huge topic that if it doesn't go in our favor, there's no church project. 
And there is no one that's coming to know the love of Christ because of the actions and because of what was happening and taking place in this room. Our actions and words today determine the outcome of tomorrow. God is heavily at work today. Do you believe that? Like God is heavily at work today and you might not see it till tomorrow. That's what's hard. God is moving today. We might not see the results till tomorrow. And the question is this, can you trust God with tomorrow? Because sometimes in today, when we're going through hard things and we're debating stuff and we're, we just lost crop to hail, we, all sorts of stuff is happening and we're like, is God even good? Can we trust God for tomorrow? Though today we might not even see it. I wonder if we could just zoom back. And do you think the people in that room knew what was at stake when they were talking? Like, Greeley was at stake when they were talking. So much was at stake when they were talking. All right, I want to go really fast through these verses. If you look at verses 12 through 15, I'm not going to reread them again, but I, I want to kind of go through and talk about some key players. Like, there's some key players in this place, and this would be one of those places if I could zoom into the Bible and be like, I wish I was there. Like, this is one of those. Like, this is the pivotal point of the entire New Testament. Like, I want to be in this room as they're talking about this. Look at the players. We have Peter. Peter, you know, the walk on water guy? That's pretty cool. Never done that. Um, but he's, he's known as the chief apostle. He's a pretty big deal. We also have Paul, and you, you know the, the story of Paul, like God had to slap him. He used to kill Christians, and now Paul's converted, and he, he was a rabbi, and now he's an apostle. Like, talk about a coffee conversation with Paul you could have. Like, the life you used to have, and now the life you do have, he's in the room having this pivotal conversation. Amazing, right? We have, we have James. We have Barnabas as well. We have James. And this James, don't, don't, don't get confused, because I always get confused on this, and um, James, this James, is not the Apostle James, because we know in Acts that the Apostle James was killed in Acts chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, so it's not that James. This is the James half-brother of Jesus, who became the leader of the Jerusalem church and the author of the New Testament book, James. So this James is in the room, and this is the leader of the Jerusalem church. This man is the leader of the Jerusalem church. Like, what a powerful group attending this pivotal conversation. Did they know the outcome of this conversation? What was at stake? That Greeley was at stake with this conversation? Then we look at verses 16 uh, through 18, and I actually wanted to read these because it's James. He's quoting a, a part of Amos, the, uh, an Old Testament writing, and this is what he says. He says, After this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild, and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And so James is hearing this great debate that's happening, and he's, he's siding with, with um, Peter, and he's siding with Paul, and he quotes the Old Testament, and he knows what he's doing when he does this, because as he's quoting the Old Testament in this text right there, he's in essence, he's asserting the destruction of the Old Testament mosaic religion. 
Okay, he's saying, what was happening way back there, that mosaic religion, I'm destroying it right now. And what I'm actually saying is I'm, I'm putting all my chips on the new covenant, which is radically different than everything we've ever known growing up, growing up as a Jewish rule under the mosaic covenant. He's saying there's a new covenant, and this is where the church is going to go. And so what's at stake here when he's saying this? He's saying this. He's saying three things. One, that this that we're talking about, Christianity, is turning its head right now. It is grace-based, not performance-based. Like what we used to have to do and keep all the law and all that, that's no longer true. Like it's grace-based, not performance-based, which is radically different from the Mosaic religion. And by that means, it's, he's saying it's a gift. It's not a merit. Your salvation is a gift. Not a merit. He's saying that, number one. The second thing that he's saying here is it's, it's the Messiah focus, not temple focused. Like no longer do you have to go to the temple and sacrifice this way and do this at this time and whatever, but it's about the Messiah. The Messiah came. Christ came and died for us, and it's about Jesus. It's not about the temple. And the third thing that happens right here, which really impacts us greatly, is he's saying that this is a worldwide It's worldwide in scope. It's not just for the Jewish race. This gospel message is open to the world at large. Just think if the conversation would have went the other way. Well, unless you're Jewish, we might as well just not be in this room, right? And we would worship temples, and we would be very much driven by law and regulation. I'm so glad that this conversation took place. This, these changes would be devastating to a circumcision party of believers that were in debate in this room right there. Then we get to verse 20. Verse 20, um, and this is what James Utley, a, commentary says, a com- commentarian, says about verse 20. He says, these guidelines were directed at both Jewish sensibilities and pagan worship exercises. These essentials are to help maintain fellowship between believers of two cultures. And so as, as Peter is talking and as, as James is speaking, he says at the very end, if you'll look at verse 20, he says, or, or verse 19, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And then in verse 20, he says, instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogue on every Sabbath. From this point forward, from this conversation forward, the church will live side by side, intermingled with Jewish and Gentile communities. No longer is it Jewish And no longer is it Gentile. It's an intermingling of the church. What does this mean? It means East Greeley and West Greeley must get along. It means men and women must get along. It means rich and poor must get along. It is our strength of the body of Christ that there's so much diversity. And as this new message is coming out at this time... James is writing, and he's saying, listen, it's going to be so hard to mix together this old Jewish thought and entering in and letting Gentiles come into this faith through faith. It's going to be hard to be living this out, so what can we do? And in this culture, 
when they're writing, they came up with a couple things, right? And, and what does it say? Uh, it says in verse 20, it says, hey, listen, here's how we're going to commingle as Jewish and Gentile people. In verse 20, we should say, you know what, abstain from from eating food from polluted idols because idol worship was huge in that time, like massive. And, and that's really against the Jewish custom. Like, listen, Gentiles, if you're eating food from idols, it's not going to go well here. Like, it's almost like, how are we going to blend our two bodies together? That's one way to do it. Let's do that. What's another way to do it? How about let's sustain, sustain, not do, sexual abstain, thank you, from sexual immorality. I could have been gone bad right there. And for meat strangled by animals, and some people think that when he lists off from blood, that means don't kill each other too. That would be a pretty good rule, right, to live amongst each other. And so James, the early church, is going, this is going to be difficult. We're not going to act like it's going to be easy. It's going to be hard bringing in a Jewish culture and a Gentile people and making one body. It's going to be hard to speak East Greeley and West Greeley. It's going to be hard to intermingle all of our cultures and everything about this. And as Ryan last week spoke, man, have you been hurt in church? I mean, what rocks have you carried? And partly, it's because we're intermingling all of this into one pot called the body of Christ. We all come with our own thoughts and everything about this, and this makes the church. It's our strength, but also it. it it's the most harmful weapon we use against each other. The fact that I'm different and I have different giftings than you is one of the hardest things that we use to hurt each other. Like, my impossible task of prophet pastor, like, my giftings, prophet pastor, like, I'm always thinking three years down the line. Like, I'm always, I'm always thinking what the church will be. It's almost like I'm never satisfied with where the church is because I see culture changing, and I'm always saying, God, what's next for the church? Like, it's one of my giftings, actually. Some of you hate that in me. Like, just celebrate today. I'm like, I can't. Like, I'm three years down the line. Like, I'm, this, is, this is my gifting. You could kill me because of that. Please don't kill me because of that because you're just as weird as I am. Um, <laughs> And as I, as I lead church project into the unknown while always thinking three years down the road, I do a lot of things in my judgment. And what I mean by in my judgment, what did James say when he got up to speak? He's like, in my judgment, this is what we should do. Look in verse 19. In my judgment, this is how I think we're going to do this together. I don't know. I haven't been a Christian tomorrow yet. I've never had to do this yet. In my judgment, this is the best way to do it. I could probably be wrong. I might be right. I might be both. I've done a lot of things in my judgment while knowing it's God and God alone that builds his church. Right? It's God and God alone to build his church. I get hurt, and I hurt along the way as I try to live out my faith. Do you? I imagine you do too. As do you when you lead us out of your world and your giftings, you will probably hurt and get hurt. Isn't this an awesome message? The bottom line is, are we loving God and loving others? Are we more about law and grace? Are we following that awesome example of Jesus? Strip it down, it is really easy, isn't it, Ann? It's really easy. We look at the life of Jesus and we try to imitate that as we go through our life. It's important, though, 
as we lead, and especially as we get hurt in church, and as there's great debates that don't go our way, I mean, I've been hurt deeply, and I imagine you have as well. It's important for us not to lose sight. And I was at a dinner with, with friends last night, and one of them just reminded me to focus on what's right and what is, not what's wrong and what isn't. Philippians 4, verse 7 through 8 might need to be reflected on you this week like I need to reflect on it. Philippians 4, 7 and 8 says this, And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Because the world and the church won't go our way all the time. We will get hurt. Let's think on what God is doing and what is right. Amen? We don't, as we go about our places and spaces, advocate our role as Christians. And we don't advocate our role as leaders. We go to our jobs, we go to everywhere we go, and we lead, and we lead strong. We powerfully move about our days trusting and following God, trusting that our days, no matter how hard they are today, God is moving today for an outcome tomorrow we may not even know. I thank God for the coaches that poured into Laura Immenshu. They might not have known what they were doing during that day, but the result's pretty amazing, I would say, wouldn't you? I had to focus on this prayer, the serenity prayer. You know it? It's pretty common. Here's the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Maybe some of us need to take Philippians 4, 7, and 8, smash it up with some serenity prayer, and have an awesome sandwich of a week. I had to, and I continually have to. Some life water would be good, too. Wash it down. What would be your in my judgment? I mean, James had to stand up and go, I hear all this, I see all this, and in my judgment, and then he speaks. What would be in your judgment for your lost neighbors and your friends? What would need to change in their lives for you to consider them your brothers and sisters? Are you damning people just by the way that in your judgment? Like what would it take for you to look at your brother, your, your neighbors and friends for them to you consider them brothers and sisters? Is it they have to look like you, talk like you, say the serenity prayer? I mean, what, what is it? Is it what part of their life needs to change? Are we judging our neighbors and friends by the way that they look, the way that they talk, the way that they're different than us? And are we doing that to ourselves? Do you think the people in that room, as we're looking at this passage, do you think the people in that room knew the full extent of the impact of their actions beyond that time? I doubt it. I doubt they had Greeley in mind when they were having this conversation. But I thank God that they had that conversation. Do you think the people in this room right now 
us? Do you think we know the full extent and the impact of our actions beyond today? That's a really good question. Maybe forget the rest, except the whole sandwich part. That was good. But this question is really good. Because if we believe that the men in this room, the people in this room, were no different than us, being led by the Holy Spirit, and the, breathing the same oxygen we breathe, on the same earth that we are walking on, if we see how much God impacted them to impact us, do we believe that God could be impacting us just as much today to impact tomorrow? Mind blown. My mind's small, though, so it doesn't take a lot. But mind blown. Like, come on. Like, we're being moved by the Holy Spirit. Do you believe God has the same aim for your life today? So I return back to the, the first three questions, and then I'm done. Our actions and words today determine the outcome of tomorrow. God is heavily at work today. You might not see it till tomorrow. And can you trust God with your tomorrow? No matter what today you're going through, good, bad, indifferent, do you trust God with your tomorrow? Enough to let him heal you Soothe you, comfort you, guide you today. I know I got a lot going on with my today, my life right now. There's things that worry me. There's things I get super pumped, excited about way too much. There's things that come and go that some things I can control and some things I can't control. But I know my perspective and my eyes need to be focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. And I need to know that there's some things I can control, and there's some things I can't control, and to have the wisdom to know what to do, what to say, and how to think. That's a good message, man. That's really good. Let me pray for us, because I think God wants to move in our hearts. God, I, I pray for our church today, everyone in this room that we would be able to trust you with your tomorrow, with our tomorrow. Well, which is your tomorrow too, God. I, I can't assume to know what's going on in all of our lives and in our minds right now, but I know that some of us are in a dark, dark time right now. Some of us have just come out of a dark time or about to head into a dark time, and it's really hard to trust you with tomorrow when today just kind of stinks. So God, would you just come down in, your, in this place like only you could, Holy Spirit, and soothe our hearts and minds? Let us know that whatever we're going through, you'd know it, like you'd know it fully. You have a great plan for our life. That God, may we focus on your words and focus on what is true, what is noble, what is right, what is pure, what is lovely and admirable. And anything that's excellent and praiseworthy, may we think about these things. May we keep our eyes focused on you. Not on the circumstances of today. May we trust you with our today and trust you with our tomorrow, knowing that you're going to use our lives as a great example for the world at large.
God, today we give you this. Church, I encourage you just as you sit here to give God that thing you're worried about. Just literally give it to him. Just speak it out. Say, God, I give you this situation. I give you this addiction. I give you whatever's going on. I give you this broken relationship. I give you my worry, my frustration. I give this to you. I lay it down at your feet, God. I trust you. I keep my eyes on you. Thank you for my today. And God, I'm pumped for my tomorrow because you're already directing it. Church, if you would, let's stand. And I don't know how else to respond to him. Such a lovely, grace-filled message than to worship. Say, God, thank you for being the author and perfecter of my faith. Thank you for loving me, for giving me, for being who you are. And church, let's just praise God in this place. Amen.